Right, what's cracking, lovely people? Welcome back to the Big Feed Up HQ podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gardner, and I'm a nutritional therapist specialising in sports nutrition. Thank you for downloading and listening in. The podcast generally focuses on nutrition, movement, outdoor experiences. And at this point, I've got over 135 episodes up and available to you. So after listening to this one, look back at some of the others and see which titles resonate with you. And I hope you find something useful. Okay, a couple of companies that helped me out with the show. The first one is 33 Fuel, who produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products. Use Matt 10 at checkout for 10% off your first order. I've made my autumn purchases of their Ultimate Greens, Energy Bars, Energy Drinks for my cycling and running. And if if you're keen on exploring natural sports nutrition based products for fueling and recovery, then definitely take a look and I hope you find something useful. I'm also working with 4Fedge at the moment who deliver biomarker finger prick test kits to your home. If you click the link in my show notes, you'll be taken through to a page showing some tests I think you may find useful. Things like vitamin D, cholesterol and subtypes, a test that shows long-form blood sugar, just to name a few. And I'm an affiliate and I'll receive a kickback if you purchase through them. I've spoken to Forth CEO a couple of times on the pod and you can find those conversations in the show notes and I use their baseline plus test probably twice a year in April and November. I'll also link to a couple of shows I did last year talking about my results from my own testing so if you find anything useful then brilliant. If you like the show please share it with someone ultimately it's the only way the show is going to grow just by passing it around and also I'd love it if you could subscribe and leave me a review on one of the platforms you listen to so Apple Podcasts is the main one um, or subscribe on Spotify or SoundCloud and leave me a comment if possible. Okay so I'm speaking with Stu Clark today on the show who is a franchise owner with British Military Fitness BMF. Stu has a fairly diverse background working in finance for nine years before moving into the fitness industry and operating as a personal trainer. As always, I hope you like our wide ranging conversation, lovely people. So let's get into it. Stu, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, mate. We've obviously spoken a little bit before we started recording and we've kept in touch. We've obviously got a, a mutual individual that we've worked with. So I think it's it's important to start with just to hear a little bit from you and, and kind of introduce you to the listeners. So how are you and where are you in the world at the moment during the current climate and everything going on, mate? So, yeah, thank, thanks very much. First of all, I'm really well. Um, secondly, I am I'm currently sat, sat, don't tell her, in my mother-in-law's house, pillaging her fridge and freezer. Um, but effectively, I'm based in Hertfordshire. Um, my business course sort of extends into Greater Hertfordshire and also one of my favourite places in the world, the northeast of London. So even though we're in another lockdown, um, I'm still doing a little bit of driving about delivering sort of one-to-one services for people that, more so for people that are struggling mentally um, with the lack of human contact. Um, but lockdown, it's, it's just another round of lockdown, isn't it? We just have to adapt and like everybody, we, we move on in the world and um, try and keep our business afloat and keep keep people going in the fitness industry. And uh, sometimes we forget a little bit about ourselves and our own family, but we're not going to be locked down forever, are we, hopefully? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I think it, it'll be good. We had a bit of a conversation before we started and you alluded to there a little bit. You know, when you put your PT hat on, wherever that is, traveling around, if it's if it's in a facility, if it's in the great outdoors, you, you love the fact that when people see you in that setting, they're ready to go. Um, they might have a quick conversation about things, but really it's it's moving forward. It's being positive. There's energy there. You know, would you say that's, you know, that's something that you love about doing that that part of your job and, and, and living living that part of it? And ultimately, that's a huge part of your lifestyle, too. So it's something you must have nurtured over time and you really you really enjoy and believe in. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's there's a couple of questions there, isn't there? I mean, first and foremost, we were just talking off camera. I'm I'm quite I'm probably a bit of a skeptic and a negative person in my own personal life, always questioning what I do. But the great thing about delivering personal training is that everybody's there for a positive experience. And 
you know, my I've got two golden rules with one-to-one. I don't really do much one-to-one anymore. Um, but my two golden rules are, first of all, never be there later than your client. So you're always set up, ready to go as a professional outfit, something the industry could probably do with a bit more of, a bit more professionalism. And obviously my second rule um, is never talk politics politics or religion with with clients and obviously i think we've all just added covid to that list as well don't talk covid with clients and you know people people turn up to work out and have that positive affirmation whether that's because they want a positive body image or more confidence or you know we've all had clients that book pt because they can book pt um but either way i i just i mean i try not to sound too over i just bloody love it i think i, I love the regimen regimentation of being on time taking a client for an hour of a planned session, you know, there's nothing worse than talking to a fellow PT and you ask what they're doing in their session and they tell you it's all stored up in their head and you think, well, surely you've got a plan of what you're doing so that you can, you know, eke out every ounce of performance out of that person, whether somebody's returning to exercise or whether they're on a performance measure, a measurement program. Um, I, I just, I just absolutely love all of it. And, and, I probably love it more nowadays because I do less of it and I pick and choose who I work with, which is sounds really cruel, maybe a bit egotistical, but um, I think I've been in the industry a long time and I'm relatively well qualified. I, I pick and choose who suits me to work with based on people that I believe to have the level and layer of mental commitment, not just the physical attributes to, you know, so I've, I've been and done the sports stuff um and worked in high level swimming and netball which is a bit of an odd one but um i've done all that and it's great but actually what i really enjoy is that person that turns up to a session indoors or outdoors with that mindset of now's the time for me to achieve something in my life we can all work with people that are super fit that's great that's great but it's actually very structured and very regiment and the only time you deviate from a structure with that level of kind of athlete is if you injure them and then you're probably not doing your job properly so I quite like working with, I guess, you know, we in the industry, we call it the deconditioned market, don't we? But, um, you know, I hate that word because nobody's really deconditioned. We're just a bit lazy and we get routine to not be active. Um, but they're the people I love working with because I think they're the people that you add the biggest amount of value to over both short and medium term goals and then hopefully empower them to take responsibility for their long term goals. Um, and, and that's what I love about it. You know, you're. I was never going to be a doctor, never going to be any any kind of saviour to anyone in that great sense of the term of, of an ethical job role. But being a PT or a, a strength and conditioning coach, whatever you want to dress it up as, I think I think that's a great way for me personally to actually add value and continuity into people's lives, whether that's one, two, three, ten times a week. Yeah, so I'm hearing is it's that positive bolt on, isn't it? And then there's that deep level of performance, not just physically, because like you said, if someone, anyone, even if they haven't got an ounce of athletic ability, they will improve if they if they follow a program that happens over time. But like you said, the good thing is because you've spent time in the industry and you you want to work with people who are open to grow and they may have struggles initially, but they're giving time not just turning up and and moving with you but they're actually preparing they're listening to what you're doing between sessions and then obviously it's it's going to be more effective long term so i don't think i don't think you should apologize for that i think really that ends up hopefully meaning that you're you're more effective you can get better results with people and then you end up maybe staying with certain people or you help them to an extent and then you move on and then there's referrals so it's all it's it, it's all important stuff and it's all positive so I, I know maybe that sounds a bit like actually you know you should kind of take everyone through the door but I think if you do speak to experienced coaches like yourselves you know you do have your own your own values and and the kind of people you want to work with eventually do gravitate towards you you probably have some that have started recently and then maybe fallen off but long term I assume you know you, you build that roster and and it works both ways. People may be looking for someone as dedicated, as focused and someone who, like you said, doesn't just have the program in their head and, and they're going to cuff the hour because their mindset might be as detailed as well. And, and they want to merge and, and move forward. So, yeah, it's interesting to, to talk about performance on that kind of level with someone who's working for a living, trying to provide for their families and things and also just trying to trying to feel good, you know, during the week a few times for themselves. I think you, you touched on something really important there. And I, I think like every 
you know, I really hate the term personal trainer because in the UK it comes with kind of a negative connotation. So, you know, I, I've been through the process, much like many other people listening, of, you know, sports science degree, master's in strength and conditioning. But, you know, the, all the public care about really is are you a personal trainer? And it's probably a bit of an ego thing, really. But, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things that I really try hard because I, sh- I should probably just explain really quickly. When I came into the industry back in 2009, I actually came out of quite a high-flying career in finance with a, I won't name the bank, but with a large bank. And I was actually a director um, within one of their commercial divisions. And, and to be honest with you, I hated it. It was, it was a great job, just not for me. Um, and I came out and I knew I wanted to work in the fitness industry. I just... I'd never been raised to work for myself, be self-employed. Just, that just, I was a working-class background, really, and I'd, I'd discovered an aptitude. And I realised that if you worked hard, people would notice that. And I, I had a swimming background. I swam for Britain. But that's so long ago now that I can't keep touching on that. Um, so, you know, you can't keep going over old ground. But So I had a kind of a performance background and understood that the relationship between working hard and reward. So I came into the fitness industry, and, and I kind of... In a, in a weird sort of way, I did an assessment and I thought, what's missing from the fitness industry at that time? And for me, I felt as though professionalism was one of the things at, at a community and a public level that was most missing. And I kind of carved myself a niche out. Uh, I think I was doing around about 50 to 60 hours of PT a week at the time out of a, a local gym, lots of private client base. And not, not your average... PT client, Matt. You're not talking about people earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a year here. You're talking about good, good, normal working class, you know, middle class people really that saw the value of having a positive influence in their life. And some of them would PT once every two weeks. Some of them would do three times a week based on affordability. But people are willing to give things up if they see the positive value in something that adds that next le- layer or level of performance or value. Performance is an interesting word, isn't it? Because we instantly associate the word performance with sport or career. But actually, performance for somebody that's never exercised before might be you know, the, the performance of getting off the couch and walking out the front door. That might be a brave act of performance for them, all the way through to you know statistics and analysis. So the professional thing was something I felt was missing. And I was really fortunate. I had a background in finance so I was actually able to talk to your average finance manager investment manager business owner and and have a conversation for five minutes about that and it gave me an opportunity to relate to people that your average PT client that was coming through the door and I think what it probably did looking back if someone said right analyze why that was good why that worked and why people stayed with you is I had the ability to tell someone you need to crack on now, Let, let's get working. But equally, the ability to recognise when somebody needed to offload and talk about whatever they read in the Financial Times on that day. I'm, I'm quite far removed from that world now, really. But um, given it's all about relativity and being able to relate to an individual. And uh, funny enough, before we spoke today, I was just talking to, a, for, to a, another guy that owns a franchise just down the road from me in the same brand as me. And we were actually discussing, you know, what it is that what it is that keeps people coming back through the door with, with our brand. And it, it is all about relationship, really. That's And what fitness brands are doing now, obviously, is trying to be entirely holistic to retain one relationship moving forward. And we, we could probably discuss for hours as to whether that's a positive or a negative for the fitness industry. But it all comes down to professional relationship and that people are spending lots of money on health and fitness. And even with lockdown and COVID, that's not going backwards. People are spending more money on health and fitness, whether it's purchasing trainers, purchasing fitness watches and trackers and memberships. So I think what people are going to do as we move forward and the public and the, you know, the, 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 wider, the wider demographic population, they, people will be more demanding of the kind of product and service they get from personal trainers, from gyms, or more expectant of a higher-end product. And I probably feel like I'm, I'm probably quite well-placed to adapt to that because first and foremost, people want to know that you know, if you look back 20 years, you're not just going to turn around and run off with their hard-earned £500 for personal training and then never answer any phone calls again. People want to know that positive influence, worth paying for, and it almost feels at the moment like the results aspect is the last thing on people's minds. It might be the first thing on their lips when they come in, but actually, whether it's group class or personal training or gym atmosphere with CrossFit, for example, I think... 
people really quickly buy into community nowadays and tribalism. I hate to write that word tribe, but it's a really buzzy, buzzy word in the fitness industry, isn't it? They buy into that tribalism. And I think if you've got a leader at the front of the business or the gym that can show professionalism, virtue, and you mentioned values as well, Matt, which I think is a really important thing nowadays, you know, having a business owner that goes home and can put his head on a pillow knowing that actually he's done something good in the day rather than just being all about the membership numbers is really important to members. They want to feel valued and businesses have got to be willing, people have got to be willing to just give something more, give something away, not not maybe not a physical product, but a bit of their emotion, put something more in and show a little bit of real life. And I think that's where the fitness industry's kind of gone and going now. It it wants it wants that layer of high value professionalism, a little bit more, a one stop shop, which is why I think CrossFit does so well for brands like that, because they can offer almost absolutely every element of fitness in one package for people, whether it's athleticism, community, tribalism. And that's why it's done so well, you know, across the world, really. And whilst I'm not a CrossFit brand licensee, I'm a big believer in looking at other businesses and seeing what they do well. And, you know, quite often the most successful, I don't know if you agree with me or not, Matt, but one of one of the most common things with successful fitness businesses is open-minded generally positive successful people running those businesses whether they're commercially minded or not actually if you look at the forefront or the leadership within that business or that individual the same with pts they tend to be open-minded you know willing to accept that there's more than one way of doing things and getting to the end goal within the relationship i mean i I don't know what you think because i i'm quite boxed off in my own business now i don't get a chance to speak to people like yourself so I'd, i'd love to know what your opinion is as well yeah i think it's interesting i think maybe we start with that on the individual level as as a personal trainer or coach or practitioner like you said you are that soundboard for the person and there is a huge disconnect now people can open their phones most people you know that we speak to generally fortunate enough to have these smartphones to get online and see these uh, results you know these before and afters and I think it's important that you touch on that that there is a big disconnect because people could look at it and think wow, you know, how how do I get to something like this? But like you said, a, a win or a, or a step forward in performance is contacting someone like yourself, getting up, either meeting in person, I know that isn't happening at the moment and starting, um, or just getting out the door and getting on with, with level one. And then eventually they will realise on this journey, they'll realise actually I'm, I'm moving a certain direction and maybe it was useful to be influenced by this before and after from from someone else's program and, and someone I don't know who's got their face blocked out, who has a different body. But for me, I've now realised what I want to get out of it and how how I want to go about it. And I completely agree. If you're if you're an individual coach or practitioner or you're working for a huge brand and you're being managed and pushed as an individual by, you know, by that by that moving machine, you ho- you hope that on an individual level you, you have you know, you have the ability to be open minded and listen and adapt. And I think you can be quite flexible when you are running your own business and doing your own service lines. But then you hope in in big organisations, too, of course, they're going to have to move with fitness trends. Like you said, um, things are coming in now, breath work, mobility. How can we do these things in our, you know, in our gym? How can we make space for that? Things like that. But but also the membership journey and the touch points. And as the team grows, you hope you you let younger members or new members come in and say, right, OK, every time the, co- the client contacts you or walks through the door or does one of your classes, even if there's 20 or so in there, you, you, you should try to, to make it personal and as best as you can and try to to just make them feel uh, part of it and and make them feel welcome and and listen as as often as you can and that's definitely that's definitely where things do fall down as you said you see the rise in some of these huge because I'm based in London you see these huge gyms and things and people pouring in and some people just like to go in strobe lights thrash themselves and leave and other people they they are looking for the support so even just standing by the door high-fiving everyone when they come in or um, you know, like you said, that had had a coach on yesterday, and we were talking about just the corridor conversation. You know, catching someone, even if you've done a class with twenty or thirty people, and you're doing three of those a day, so you're seeing over a hundred people, but you might just have a quick chat when you're lacing your shoes or something, and someone's leaving. Those are the things in my mind that are really, really important. 
really important. And it takes time as a coach or a practitioner, if you are working for yourself, how to manage that. If it's WhatsApp, if it's one of these new training apps where you speak to your clients or if it's through a quick zoom call or however you want to do it i think those those little interactions are key and then as you said there you can sit down and you and you can organize the program the resources you can build your toolbox and bring tools out as a practitioner but it's those it's it is those little bits and then i think there's so much variety and when it does grow and if you are part of a team or you're, you're in a big organization how how can you then still care for the new person coming through the door and obviously you have you know you have an extensive business background but anything I've ever listened to from really successful businesses and I remember the Airbnb story sticking with me you know these guys that started that they would always go and do those house calls you know they'd go over as the business started and speak to the users and say or at least get feedback and be like how did how did you get on you know the blow up mattress was crap we need to change this we need to change that and that always stuck with me because obviously now something like that that is a gigantic business but you know that people that run it at the start they were very conscientious about the user journey and then you hope as they grow that's something that's 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 really there that's valuable to them so um i hope i hope that makes sense it's kind of a bit of a ramble but i was trying to go on an individual level as a practitioner um like where i am and the thing i'm thinking about and where and where you are and then obviously when you are working in a larger organization and you're you're being managed and pushed which i think can be positive but then you hope there's some wiggle room with 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 the seniors or the owners and and they are open-minded so that your point of view can be listened to I think, I mean, the, I've actually, I just wrote down a few things as you were chatting there. First and foremost, because I'm, I'm a bit of a chatter, um, I, th- I actually think some of the most productive design and creativity actually comes out of people sitting down and having a ramble. Um, and it might trigger something in somebody somewhere. You know, I, I believe that ideas might be created by one person, but they're adapted and built on by many. Um, so I think that, you touched on a few bits there, and I think from a, this is probably going to sound overly boring and commercial, but ultimately, what what you're talking about with Airbnb is you had a group of uh, an ownership team that had principles around what they wanted their service level to to stand for, and I think that probably goes back to the point I touched on around professionalism in the fitness industry. When 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 you use the word professionalism, I think the average person on the street probably instantly gravitates towards suit and tie, that kind of image. But professionalism for me is actually about standards, it's about, it, and not just about the practitioner, it's great, great term to use, practitioner having standards, but also trying to embed those standards into your community group and into your, into your class attendee, into your personal trainer, into your staff. And I still, I stand by this today, and, and I, I, have this, I have this conversation with loads of people. I still think one of the most powerful things that you can do is learn somebody's name straight away use it three times in a new class. You know, so my golden rule for me and all my staff is if you get a trialist or a new member to a session, because you have to remember, whilst I, whilst my job is to focus on the business, I actually still deliver in the business because I enjoy it. It's almost fun for me. Um, but I've got to focus on encouraging new trialists to come through, creating a pipeline, but ultimately converting them to become members and, you know, and see what we do and, and be a part of that. And, I still think using someone's name, and we, we can't do it so much anymore, but the old hand on the shoulder kind of thing, pat someone on the back when they're down in a plank position and say, you know, I, I don't like making a scene personally, but whispering in their ear, that's, that's a bloody great plank, well done, and then walking off. You don't, you probably don't need to have any other interaction with someone on, on a level in the class, but, you know, I see so many people that are actually afraid to ask people's names. Hi, hi my name is Stu, what's your name? You know, it's not, we're embarrassed in the UK, I think, to ask. So you go to America, and it's the first bloody thing they ask you. What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Wherever you are. And, all right, it does get a bit a bit uh, tedious. But in the UK, I still think that's the most powerful thing, to use somebody's name. It, there's that, if all of your listeners just think back to a time that somebody asked them their name, and then their name has been used in the right context during a meeting, a session, at work, as a new person... It, it makes you feel instantly, even if you're the most negative person or sceptical person like me, you feel instantly a part of it. You feel instantly recognised and acknowledged. And, you know, the other golden rule, I think, with fitness 
whether it's PT or group session or average gym, you know, gym goer. I think try and identify something in somebody that is positive. We're so quick in the fitness industry. We get taught, right, don't we, Matt? We get taught at a very basic level when you come into the fitness industry to identify weakness, tell somebody about that weakness, and then tell them how to improve that through structured performance. Well, I think the opposite. I think identify something that somebody's bloody good at. Do you know what? That's a really good squat. That is excellent, really good. And then what that does is it gives you the, the power and the acknowledgement and the relationships. Go back to someone and say, look, your squats are brilliant, but let's try and work on your press-ups. And it's almost like a you know, okay, commercial tool, motivational sandwich. You know, you start on something positive, work on in the middle, and then something, you know, I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but you, it's all about creating, you know, a creating design for that membership journey. And I've been really fortunate. I've worked in the, the industry for a long time. One of my toughest jobs was working for a council. I'll just, I'll let your listeners imagine why that was tough. If you're any sort of entrepreneur or commercially minded person, working for a council is one of the toughest things you can possibly do. Um, but I will give them credit. Councils have an amazing responsibility for providing an outstanding membership journey, whether that's in the leisure industry, refuge collection, um, council tax, you know, whatever it is, they're trying their best to provide a brilliant customer service. And the council really understood for me that membership journey wasn't just about the journey of someone turning up for a trial buying a membership and then coming into the gym and staying as long as they want. It was actually about all of the moments of truth. It was about what is that person's journey like from the car park to the front door? What are they greeted with at reception? What are they then greeted with in the change rooms? Clean, tidy, you know, light and bright atmosphere. How many gyms nowadays are opening with a really dark and vibey atmosphere? And if you ask any performance analyst, analysts, sorry, they'll tell you that you want, for maximum performance, you want to train in a bright light area because it's stimulating and encouraging. And all, all the way through to, you know, when they're in the gym, even if you're the average gym goer, you know, I, I used to, when we used to tour new, sorry, this is slightly off tax, but I, I think it's semi-relevant. Um, when we used to tour new members of staff around that, one of the things I used to ask them to do before they actually, before we offered them a job was to make contact with five people in the gym and one of their jobs was to make contact with somebody wearing headphones. And we'd ask them how they Now, that person with headphones on, on the treadmill, on the cross trainer, lifting weights, bicep curls, whatever they're doing, that person with headphone, headphones on is just a, as big a part of the gym community as, you know, chatty, chatty Gary at the water machine, who's actually come in for more of a social than a, a performance session or an exercise session. And, you know, acknowledging someone doesn't have to be having a four-hour conversation with them and making them late for the rest of their day. It could just be raising your arm, catching their eye, nodding your head, doffing your cap, whatever it might be, and kind of giving them that sort of acknowledgement. And again, they instantly feel, that person's noticed me. They're not trying to sell me PT. They're not trying to get me to buy something from the vending machine. They're just noticing me and saying hello. And, you know, I think one of the things that I studied quite a couple of years ago now as part of a qualification was the increasing effects of loneliness on younger people. So younger people are feeling more and more disaffected and lonely, probably because we're all on IT, all on phones. And we put in place this system uh, in one of the council gyms where everybody that came into the gym, it was a big gym, 5,000 member, but they had to have at least three points of contact. So they had to have a, a hello at the front desk, an interaction of sorts in the gym, and then a good buyer. One of my favourite question, commercially speaking, this probably sounds a bit cheesy, a bit Dragon's Den, but when are you coming back? You know, I, I love that question. Completely open-ended. It implies that you want to see someone again, and it forces someone to make a commitment. And the next conversation should then be, I'm going to be here on Wednesday, so I will see you then. And, and let's face it, fitness industry is all about personal commitment and being drawn back in, being drawn back in. You want people to turn up two and a half times a week. All those other fitness industry schematics that to the average listener are probably not very interesting, but really simple stuff. It's not complicated. But you can only do that really through human interaction and almost the spontaneity of human interaction. You know, and you can't get to know someone or know someone's habits without actually spending time with them, with acknowledging them, having them acknowledge you back. And that's what the fitness industry is turning into. It's turned into that that tribalist kind of led from the front by your key your key people who 
who want to interact with you and want to let you into their lives so that you can be a part of, of their life as well. And, you know, if you think of all the stats over the next the past months, you mentioned about, like, people that go to the gym. Like, let's, let's take... Um, Oh, let's name drop. Let's take a pure gym. You know, their their gym system system is budget gym, rack them and stack them. You know exactly what you're going to get, how you're going to get it. You, you go in. Now, we we all know from the statistics from the past two lockdowns that large conglomerate gyms have pretty much just said to all of their members, we're going to put you on hold because they can afford to do that. But maybe, let's say maybe 10% of their members have chosen to carry on paying, either through negligence naivety or because they want to support a local franchise business for example we we've been really lucky in our franchise i'm lucky we've worked bloody hard but we've retained i think in the first lockdown i retained over 87 percent of our paying customers on full rate so we, we have about 600 customers but 87 percent of those people during lockdown stayed because we swung very quickly to online and all right it isn't the product that people wanted to be doing but it was all that we could do. And this time round, this mini, oh God, let, let's hope it's a mini lockdown. We've actually retained 99.6% of our, of our members because, and it all comes back to human touch and human element. And I think that, that led, leads me to my last point. You mentioned Airbnb is a really good example because at some point as a business owner, commercially, you have to make that decision, don't you? Are we going to scale up or are we going to maintain a lifestyle type of business? And when you make that decision, I've never met a business that is able to truly maintain their ethical stance on customer service because you're now bringing people into your business as employees that perhaps don't share those values or don't have that level of passion. But if you're driven commercially as well as driven to provide service, products, whatever it is, because that is all the fitness industry is, it's customer service industry, you, you have to make that decision. If, are you willing to let that go or are you willing to scale up but try and manage that as best as you can? And, you know, Airbnb is a great example of that. And you see it in the fitness industry. It's that the businesses that are the most successful are probably those that are the most honest about what their service product is. You know, it, Pure Gym are honest. Their, server, their product offering is Rackham and Stackham. David Lloyd, very service-driven. There's not a member of staff my other half used to work for David Lloyd. There's not a member of staff there that does not know the ins and outs of every single building, every single member, you know, the name of, you know, the 80-year-old the um, lady that does aqua aerobics all the way through to your tennis performance. You know, and, and that is the difference between the brand. And it gives people the choice to what, what do I most belong to as a tribe? Do I belong to the Rackham and Stackham kind of, I know how to lift weights, I'm going to go and do that. Or do I want that layer of service? Do I want to sit down and have my coffee and, you know, poached eggs after my workout with my group of fitness members in a high in a high community environment? Or do I just want to get in and get out, grubby shower and away we go? So I'm interested to see what happens post-lockdown. Um, I, I know of a few facilities that have already closed down because they've not been able to adapt or, you know, maintain momentum with memberships because lockdown has been very, very hard. And that's a shame for me. I'm really sad to see people disappear from the industry. I think it's a big enough industry for everybody to survive, but just not under the current climate, unfortunately. Yeah, like you say, we just have to see how those things pan out. And um, trying to unpack a few of your points there, it was interesting, again, like you said, around the, the motivational interviewing, mate, if we go back to that bit at the start of this um, section that you said and working with people in that motivational sandwich. And I think... Even though we we might learn, we might go on courses, and obviously you and I are people that it's in our blood to kind of want to support people and coach people, so we are interested in these things. But I totally agree. I try and start a lot of my if it's even just an email or a call or something, and you do find something positive first. And okay, you might learn a structure like a motivational interviewing structure. Like I've gone I've gone through one recently. I'm starting part time work with a, with a digital healthcare company, and you know you do these courses and you mould your own experiences. But I like it as a format, and there shouldn't be anything wrong with that because. Uh, uh, they're called users in this in this in this uh, format if we can use that word and they jump on and you say immediately thanks for joining me how are you getting on with things but also I'd like to congratulate you or um, I'm really happy to see this um, and then the couple of things I love to say is 
Um, I obviously have my own points and what I want to go into, but it's that bit around what do, what do you think you need to do and how do you think you can make this better? And they're quite loaded questions, but they're interesting because you want to hear their point of view. And I think now now I've, I've been doing maybe 10 years as a nutrition practitioner before, I'd always have something in my mind that I want to get across and I haven't really listen correctly to what they're saying whereas now I want I want them to tell me and then when they they do go quiet or they have decision fatigue and I've heard that then I'm thinking okay how how do I then maybe adjust my my thought pattern there and if I do have something nailed down to tell them I just need to be aware is it my own bias and and how can I bring it across or do I keep it in the toolbox just because it's there doesn't mean I have to use it so I think that's a really interesting point and even though that is quite structure led, I think people that do want the coaching and the relationship and if they do hear up front that they're doing well with something, that's brilliant. And then they can work on the other things, the things that might take a bit longer. The reason why they're doing six months with with someone like myself, because they're looking to change a health marker that, that won't happen overnight. You know, they have to do these things to get something remeasured and and you know on a blood test level but then in the first couple of weeks they want the momentum great you know what i've actually gone out and done a food shop for a week um and i have these things ready so i'm not buying or i'm not grabbing snack foods that might have things in them that might influence my physiology etc etc and they they are the really big wins and they are often why why someone works with a practitioner or a coach because they're quite tired, they're quite busy and they don't maybe congratulate themselves or they don't maybe collate the things that are working well. And we do need to hear that as human beings because there's always stuff going on. Like you said, there'll be negative aspects of everyone's lifestyle. So we're this soundboard that hopefully can bolt on uh, positivity and, and move forward. You know, I, I maintain and I do work with uh, a, a counsellor, a qualified counsellor, and she will go into the past and that's part of the role you know, what's happened before. Whereas if you can have this future thinking, you and I meet someone, it's like, okay, we, we need to know injury history, health history. I take a few more things because obviously in, in my side, eating's a learned behavior. So I need to understand, if, you know, on a small level relationship with food, but then it's like, actually what's happening next? You know, that's the key thing for us. We're, we're in this future thinking market. Whereas if we were counselors or if we were people that CBT therapists or people that had to dig back, you know, it's different. And I love that at the start of the conversation, what you said about when someone comes in, it's like, okay, we're going to crack on. Um, And it might seem a bit slapdash to a lot of members of the public, because now there's all these, you know, personal trainers and all these things everywhere that's thrown at you. But that that level of professionalism, when you have that first interaction, and, and the other thing I picked up on that, when are you coming back in, I think is brilliant, really, because some people uh, 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 work hard and, and make it for themselves like you have um, working for yourself and working for other businesses. But there'll be a few people listening to this who are coaches who do work in these big commercial environments. And they're thinking, how do how do I find an edge? I back myself as a coach, but then I've got all this time where where I'm where I'm on the gym floor. You know, people that aren't in the fitness industry and things might be listening to this and say, oh, what does that actually mean? But a lot of coaches you know, their 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 coaching side is quite small to what they do, isn't it? It's they're actually spending the majority of their lives in this building. And it's how do you interact with uh, client service members um, if there's a clinic built on or like you said, if there's uh, a wellness area or a cafe or all these kind of things, you know, these are obviously more of the higher end gyms. But even just like you said, they're in a pure gym environment. If someone's coming through the door and just having a few interactions with them, um, and just taking a headphone off and say, you know, I've seen you in here three days a week. Um, what, what body part are you working on today? And then that person might think, actually, geez, you know, this guy knows about training. And that's the that's the brilliant thing, really, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's the level of depth and service. And I think that that is how you can kind of become and, and you know, build build your your professionalism and, and your brand. Again, obviously, a very commercial word, but it's it's all important and i think it can fall by the wayside as you do more hours um or there's other things going on you know you you need the money or you're trying to do other things on the side and this is something you're going into or you're tired you know your early starts late evenings but actually you just need to try to get yourself up every time you see another human being in the facility really is 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 a, is a huge thing and i'm sure you've probably over the years sat especially with your outdoor workouts and things mate and thought 
crap, you know what, the weather's terrible here. But the second you're out there and the people are there and you think, God, you know, they've manned up. I can I can easily get through this. They're here. So let's, you know, let's really crack on. And halfway through the session, no one even notices that they're that they're cold or wet and things like that. And, and they just get on with it. And it's, you know, it's, it's making people's weak sometimes and you finding that extra little bit will facilitate that so it is it's working on yourself and it's working on the the environment around you and then the capabilities that can come you know the training modality learning about the anatomy learning a bit about nutrition or some other lifestyle marker to bought on you know to not marker sorry you know some other lifestyle service that you might bolt on to to then help clients in a wider way or building partnerships and Yes, yeah, it, it, it does take time. It maybe seems daunting if someone's listening to this and they are a new coach or a new business owner or something like that. But I think it's important to say there's there's so much opportunity. I think that was one of the other points, wasn't it? There's so much opportunity here. And it's it's terrible to hear of facilities closing and, and you know a lot of people being affected. But there, there's space for every level of coach or practitioner, I think, in the industry. And you've definitely alluded to that. I think you're right there. I mean, I, I'm going to work backwards for a few things you said, and I promise I won't, I won't dominate a conversation here. But ultimately, the first thing that people have to recognise when they come into this industry, and I say this because I actually sat on a level three, a level three fitness qualification course. I won't tell you who the provider was. But I sat there, and I'm sorry to upset anybody here, but this is a bit of a bold statement. But my experience of people that teach level two and level three tend to be people that haven't been able to make it as personal trainers. Um, that's probably a bit a bit critical, but actually the most important thing with personal training and with level level two fitness club coaching and teaching classes, you've got to bloody love working with people. It's a service driven industry. If you're, I just want everyone to think, all your listeners to think about the last time they visited a gym, and there's one in every gym, level two qualified or three qualified fitness instructor, always got his phone or her phone in her hand and has a face like a slap backside because they don't really want to be there. Maybe it was the easiest qualification out of school. Um, and, and I see these people all the time. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves, I think, oh, I'm so critical of this. It's probably not, I should be offensive to it. You know, you probably don't want someone quite so determined in their own opinion with this. But I think because it's privatised education sector, their they're first thing they're telling you on a level three qualification. I remember 10 years ago was, you know, you can walk into a gym as a level three qualified instructor. You'd be picking up at least 10 hours of PT a week at 50 pound an hour. And that's fine. That is achievable and accessible. But but you've you've also got to know how to market yourself. You've got to understand how to communicate. You you don't have to understand it sometimes. You've just got to be bloody good at it. You've just got to know that how how can I, person A, go and talk to person B because that person's not going to come and ask you about personal training. They've got no relationship with you other than being a gym user. And they just see you as the guy or the girl that happens to stand at the desk on their phone every time they turn up. So first and foremost, I do a bit of work with younger, younger people leaving A-levels that want to come into the fitness industry. And my, my golden, my golden rule, my golden question is, do you like working with people? Yes or no. There's no, it's not open-ended. It's yes or no. If the answer is, oh, no, I really don't like people, the fitness industry is not for you. If the answer is, well, you know, I do like working with people, actually. The second question is, how do you feel when you add value to someone's life? When you forget about the fact that you're charging them for that value, how does it feel to you? You know, and I'll try and ask, I'll try and ask A-level kids, say, think of a situation where you've actually helped somebody. You know, and I had one lad about seven or eight months ago, he said, Oh, I actually, I actually helped somebody cross a disabled lady cross the road. And I said, Rob, how did that make you feel? And he felt a little bit embarrassed about telling me that he felt really good about it. You know, it's a really good thing to do and, and all the rest of it. And I said, that is what the fitness industry is about. It's about helping people, adding that value. But do you know what? You've got a life. You're a person as well. You're allowed to feel good about that. Love working with people. And I think the, the industry is to blame to a degree because behind every great personal training offer is a salesman selling personal training um, and what what you do is you tend to get three types of personal trainer don't you you get personal trainers that are very very good at selling but are terrible at retaining mm-hmm. so they're constantly racking and stacking now in my experience that has a lifeline of about 18 months in any one facility after that you're blown out you you're seen for the person that you are you're a salesperson you're probably tardy maybe you're not a great 
great relationship. But I'm being very, very definitive here, but you know, just drawing a picture. Sure. And then you've got the other, per- you've got the other person, which was, which I was. Great with building, love working with people. Great at building relationships. And the more you get to know someone, the less you want to let them down, and the less they want to let you down. But I had, I had the sales skills of a, of a brick through a window, really. I, it, do you want to do some personal training? Um, and I had to learn that, that. And part of running your own business is that it's difficult running your own business, being at the driving seat, because you've not really got anybody criticizing you, telling you where you can improve. It's one of the biggest things I struggle with um, is, I, first of all, I talk too much. Your listeners will, will have gathered that. And sometimes I forget to hear and listen what, to what people are saying, if, unless I'm writing it down. And... I kind of need that person in my life. Now, we're actually bringing my other half into my business, and she's excellent at pulling me up on those sorts of things. Um, but you need that person in your life. Kind of like people need pers- – if people want personal training or a gym instructor or whatever you want to package it as, they're, they're looking to outsource some of their their lower quality. Usually what they're outsourcing is their lack of motivation. Not They're not really outsourcing their lack of education to you because there's plenty out there on offer. They're – they want a personal relationship with somebody that they feel committed to and is committed to them that when they wake up in the morning at 5.31 a.m., oh, my God, I've got to get my trousers on, I've got to get my kit, I can't wait to get to the gym and see Rob, Gary, Matt, Stu, Alice, whoever it is, because kind of like the sports scenario, you know, it's good. I am getting to a point here, but my, my point is going to be that the, day, the age of the fitness instructor and the personal trainer is almost dead in the sense that actually what people want is a coach. And, you know, I think probably you'll understand that because your your role in nutrition is you're, you are coaching people, mentoring people, guiding people. And that's no different to the fitness industry now. If you go to America, though the quality of those personal trainers, you know, they call themselves coaches out there because that's what they are. They are they're, they're there as a, as a guide, as a guru for everybody. In here, over here, we're still personal trainers, but over there, the, the word coach is such a powerful tool because it means so much more to people. And, you know, anybody can sign up and do a digital program. We've all, we've all probably embarked on some sort of digital program of, of some nature during lockdown. But people still gravitate back to people. And I think that I think the fitness industry is going to be surprised over the next two years. I think the the online thing is a nice bolt on, but people still want to get up and work with Alice, Gary, Rob, Stu in the morning, whatever time of day it is, they want that human interaction. And you just you just don't get that same feeling over a mechanical voice on an app or a live Zoom stream on it, you know, whatever it is. Uh, personally, I still want to wake up and go and see Rob on the spin bike, you know, hammering me to like, can't walk for, for the next 10 minutes. And not everybody is like that, but equally at the other end of the spectrum, your deconditioned market, which is by, by the way, most of your coaches and listeners will understand is actually the biggest conglomerate of market that you can go for. So instead of aiming for high end performance, you know, coaches, my advice is to learn the name of somebody that actually isn't a very good athlete in your gym and talk to them about personal training because there's more value to be added and they can perceive to receive more value. Yeah. So I still think that I still think that real life gyms and people to people service is gonna be king over the next two or three years. People have had a taste of what isolation feels like. And I think people are gonna go absolutely nuts to get out into the community and they will be willing to perhaps spend a bit more and support local business and local people rather than, big, you know, big nationals. We still support them, obviously, but I'm looking forward to seeing what the next. There's a lot of suffering out there at the moment, but I'm still looking forward to seeing what the next two year two years brings for coaches and fitness professionals in the industry. Excellent, mate. That's excellent. I think that's a, I think that's a really brilliant summary of those last couple of points, and I can definitely second that in my experience. Athletes, they don't they don't pay for your service you know people who work for a living and want to find an edge want to improve their health or like you said their conditioning or enter a race that they might do once a year for charity or just for themselves they pay it's great you know and I love if people ask me okay I'm I'm still a young practitioner I'm growing I've, I've worked a bit in in rugby I've worked a bit in adventure and endurance sports and you do find that these athletes it's great online but when you are chasing them to pay it's it's not easy and often they expect things for free because they expect you to just do it for them whereas when I work with someone who's been referred to me who's doing their first ever triathlon and things and 
they work hard in their life and they're employing a PT and now they're working with me monthly and they're paying me. It's brilliant because they, you know, they, they, they pay, they value it and it's, it's fantastic. So if you can get the work in athletes and in sport, great, but very few and far between to, you know, to earn a really good living out of there. But mate, that is, that's fantastic. Look, I think there's, we've had exactly what I expected, a really good wide ranging conversation about, you know, the nooks and crannies in the fitness industry. And it's great to have your experience on there, like you said, from your financial background, but then also just building yourself as, 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 um, yeah, an experienced coach. And then the levels that you've worked in, in the fitness industry, I think will be really valuable for a lot of listeners. So I think before we end, how, how can people keep in touch with you firstly, I'll put in the show notes. And then secondly, is there anything you want to let the listeners know that you're working on is there anything you think they should know about moving forward so i mean yeah i'm i'm all about the networking i love meeting other professionals um or, or people at this i really like meeting people at the start of their journey that are hungry to learn because i actually feel like i can thrive off of their energy as well which is probably a bit selfish but i'm always open to an email um I, i've never give out my phone number but um i'm open to an email which is uh, are we allowed to give that out yeah, hundred percent. I'll put it on the in yeah. the show notes, mate. Whatever you like, you tell me, and it's easy. It's good for people to get in yeah, contact. Yeah, no worries. So the, the email is um, Stuart. That's S T U A R T. Dot Clark. So C L A R K at bmilitaryfit dot com. Um, and I think oh, we've, we've kind of already touched on it, really. But uh, we'll go, let's go down the line of one piece of advice for people that I've always found has worked has worked for me. My one piece of advice for any young budding coach, start, let's use the word coach, let's get away from personal trainer, one budding coach in the industry is your first question to any person that you're meeting for the first time should always be, hi, my name is, what is your name? And I know it sounds so chintzy and so commercial and so flowery, but it is the most powerful opening question that you can ask anyone, regardless as to where your career takes you. It shows that you're interested, it shows that you care, and then the important thing is don't do what I do, and that's don't forget that name. <laughs> Remember it so that you can actually use it in the future. Um, and there's nothing more powerful than standing at that front desk, watching someone come in three days later and saying, hi, Joanne, how are you today? And all of a sudden, that person, that you've got them. They are hooked. They might not sign up there and then, but I tell you what, you've got more chance of signing that person up than you have looking at someone across the gym wishing you could go and talk to them. Mega. Mate, that's absolutely fantastic. Huge piece of advice there, and I think everyone can take it. Whoever's listening to this, whatever they're in and whoever they work with, like you said, that's just very, very simple but very powerful. And your email will be in there. And for you guys listening, if you think that you've that you found value from this show or you might listen back to a few of the points, then brilliant. And the only way the show will grow is if you share it with someone. So I always say it every week, but just pass it on. Send a link. It's on a variety of platforms now. Um, and then I'll start probably segmenting out things in the show notes so that people can maybe forward to certain sections that they really enjoy. But if you can recommend it, it's uh, yeah, it'd be really great. And if you're still hanging on after 52 minutes, then really good effort. Thanks for thanks for joining us today. And um, yeah, from Stu and I, we'll speak to you soon.